0: Hello, and welcome to Music Therapy and Beyond. I'm Elizabeth, and today we are interviewing my dear friend Stephanie about her work as a recreational therapist with biofeedback. We would like to offer one disclaimer for this episode. We will be discussing a specific form of biofeedback utilizing HeartMath's trauma-sensitive biofeedback technique. Reference to this specific technique does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the Music Therapy and Beyond team. We recommend that you do your own research into new training opportunities before you decide to pursue them, and seek appropriate supervision as you learn how to master new techniques. Let's get to the episode. To the podcast, Stephanie.
1: Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited. Today we're going to be talking to you about uh, your work as a recreational therapist, as well as your work with biofeedback. But just so our listeners know, you and I go way, way back. Uh, We used to work together, so we have a history. We have a really awesome relationship that I cherish to this day. And I'm really grateful for the time I spent working with you. And we'll talk more about some of our shared work, I think, in this episode. So for the listeners that have no idea who you are, I would love for you to just introduce yourself and just tell a little bit about your journey to becoming um, a rec therapist.
1: Sure. I'll talk a little bit about how I came to recreational therapy. It's A bit of a fun story. I started on this journey far before I knew that was what I was doing. I had the opportunity when I was in middle school, high school, um, to volunteer at a summer camp for children with physical disabilities. And my good friend's dad founded this camp. It's called Camp Access. It's unfortunately um, no longer around, but those were some of my favorite times of the year. And I looked forward to it all year long till this one week where I got to go and volunteer at camp. And there's one year, Ernie, uh, my my friend's dad, he told me, you know, you should be a recreational therapist. I kind of blew him off. Uh, I really didn't know what recreational therapy was at the time. I thought, no, that's not what I wanted to do. You know, my 14, 15 year old self didn't know that Mm -hmm. a lot of the staff who were working at the camp were recreational therapists, because that's not something I'd ever heard of or knew what they did. Time goes by. I get to college. I went to Eastern Washington University. And found what I thought was just going to be a fun elective. And it was an adaptive sports class um, for people with physical disabilities. And I thought, well, I've got electives to burn. That'll be fun. I had no idea that it was part of this major called therapeutic Mm -hmm. recreation and that there were all of these other classes that just kept going down that trajectory. So (laughs) I get into This class, I fall in love with, you know, the idea behind recreational therapy and being able to support people in bettering their quality of life. And I have to go back to Ernie and tell him, okay, so you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Recreational therapy is is definitely my calling. So as I was working through. The first couple of quarters towards this degree in therapeutic recreation, I had an opportunity to work with youth in a long-term residential mental health treatment program. And my passion for the population really just sparked from there and has continued to evolve and intensify since then. I graduated from Eastern Washington with my degree, my bachelor's degree in therapeutic recreation in 2012, and then spent the next several years working in youth residential programs like the one that I started in during my undergrad Mm -hmm. experience. So I worked kind of all over Washington state and eventually landed where I had the opportunity to meet you and Mm -hmm. work with you, which was one of the best um, opportunities to grow and expand uh, what we called our experiential therapy department to mm-hmm. include not just recreational therapists but drama therapists and art therapists and music therapists. So
0: yeah, it was a really cool place with a lot of amazing experiences for the youth that. You don't necessarily get in a residential setting anywhere else, so
1: it was pretty special for sure,
0: and definitely a privilege to get to work with you and under you. So,
1: well, that's very kind. I can't say enough good things about um, my my experience working alongside you as uh, a music therapist too, and to see how our fields can really complement each other um, and just support the. In a lot of ways, I think what we do people think is pretty similar, but um it's so nuanced and complex and being able to just understand that part of it and support um the other in doing what they do best was really great.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of passion for what you do. So what is it that you love the most about practicing rec therapy?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um it's hard to narrow that down. But when I think about the things that um, just leave me with that kind of heart swell feeling, that warm and tingly feeling that you get when you feel really good about an interaction with a patient, it's interactions where I get to see someone connect with or find something new that brings them joy. I think it's really special that as a recreational therapist, I get to help someone really capitalize on the things that they enjoy is a way of working on their recovery and just their overall health and wellness.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And really that's what music therapists are about too ultimately is is connection and helping people to find something that brings them joy and helps them in their treatment and recovery. And so I love that overlap and that shared passion. It's really cool. Something that I learned when we sort of Approach the idea of having this conversation and having you on the podcast is that you use biofeedback as a recreational therapist, which I found really fascinating. And so I would love to hear more about that. So maybe you could start by just defining biofeedback for our listeners, and then we'll get more into the details of how it works with recreational therapy.
1: Sure. There are lots of different ways to do biofeedback. But if we just think about the word itself, biofeedback, it just means that we're getting information about what's happening in our bodies. So we all have some experience with this. We can take our temperature and that's a way to get some biofeedback. Mm -hmm. And as I have continued to move through my career, I've made some some shifts in populations and I'm currently working in an acute psychiatric setting where I was introduced to biofeedback where we are looking at something called heart rate variability
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so what we can see when we look at heart rate variability is whether our body is in more of a stress response state or more of a relaxed state mm-hmm. so when I meet with my patients, there's, there's a lot of psychoeducation about what that means. What is biofeedback? What is heart rate variability? It's not just that your heart rate is increased. We're really looking at the times between the beats of your heart and what that tells us about your stress response system. And then biofeedback, there's the piece where you actually get to see what's happening so we're um, looking at a tablet in real time as somebody is practicing a relaxation strategy uh, that ideally and hopefully and most of the time we see an increase in heart rate variability which indicates more of a relaxed state I like to think about it as having more more flexibility mm-hmm. in your heart rate so, when we're in fight or flight, we go from kind of steady and low and then we spike, right? Right. There's not a gradual progression in that. We just go from like a normal steady heart rate to spiking with not much change there in between. So that would be low heart rate variability because there's not a whole lot of change moment to moment Mm -hmm. to get up to that um, higher heart rate. So that's what we're learning about when we meet to do biofeedback with a patient, and have an opportunity to learn about the impacts of gratitude on our levels of stress, and how somebody can really take control of um, regulating their stress response system.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. We just had an episode on interoception. And I did a deep dive just into how we receive signals from our body, how we interpret the things that are happening in our body, how we respond to the things that are happening in our body. And I just think it's really such a cool thing to see happening with, especially in psychiatric care, just recognizing the the importance of that, being able to notice what's going on in your body and being able to respond to it and to realize that maybe you have some, maybe some bad habits or some ways that you tend to respond to your stress where you weren't really helping yourself, but you didn't really know what was going on in your body to be able to change your response. But getting that information is really, really helpful for somebody to just recognize what's going on and that they can mm-hmm. do something to change that and to improve their stress response and to be able to navigate those moments just more efficiently and and more naturally, which is really cool. So I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of the time by the time folks see me, they've heard a lot about mindfulness. They've heard a lot about relaxation strategies. Mm-hmm. and And frankly, they're kind of sick of it. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes, you know, they don't want to hear these buzzwords anymore. They've been trying it and it hasn't prevented them from coming back to the hospital. So Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for them to really see that this is changing what's happening in their body, Mm -hmm. which can be really pretty powerful.
0: Yeah. It's that confirmation. Like this is not a pointless exercise. I'm not just marking time and getting my points to get off the unit or to go have privileges mm-hmm. somewhere or something like that. There's actual real true benefit for them long-term outside of the hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, are you, are you seeing that with all types of patients in psychiatric care or are you seeing more benefit with one population over another, with one diagnosis
1: mm-hmm. over another? You know, there are certainly considerations for different diagnoses and whether or not biofeedback in our setting is really going to be helpful in the long term. We have such a wide range of, of folks that we're working with in diagnoses, dementia, anxiety, personality, disorders, um, Mm -hmm. eating disorders, Mm -hmm. and somebody with a cognitive impairment isn't necessarily going to benefit as much from, Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere from one to three, maybe. If we're really lucky, can get in four or five sessions if they're in the hospital for more of a prolonged stay, Mm -hmm. get the benefit of learning skills that they can then generalize and practice outside of the community so uh, we're looking at level of cognitive functioning Mm -hmm. there's a sweet spot for that across the board really in our population so I think about working with folks who have anxiety and depression as biofeedback being a great tool for them there's data to support that it can reduce stress anxiety pain and depression. Mm -hmm. um, And those things can span lots of different diagnoses. So we can work with people who have personality disorders, who are really struggling with anxiety and benefit from that, Mm -hmm. or somebody who has a schizoaffective disorder and is having more negative symptoms Mm -hmm. and increased depression, who can really benefit from that too. Uh, It's really going to come down to whether or not they're going to be able to understand the purpose behind the intervention Yeah. to be able to apply.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's probably cases where someone's not fully oriented to time, place, person, all of those things that we are paying attention to on a psychiatric unit. And I could see that being challenging if they're really experiencing psychosis or something that's really pulling them away from the present moment. I could see that mm-hmm. being really a challenging thing for them to engage in, but that's when we use all yeah. of our other tools to help them <laughs> to be able to get back to the present moment and to be um, more connected to their body because that mind-body connection is a really important thing for everybody. So yeah, Absolutely. thank you for clearing that up because I was just really kind of curious as you were talking, it was making me imagine different clients and patients that I've seen over the years and um, just trying to figure out where that would fit with them. So. Okay, so what kind of training or certification do you need to practice biofeedback?
1: Well, there is a range of levels of certification that you can get to be able to provide biofeedback. I don't know how well regulated that is in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, There are national credentialing, like agencies that require so many hours of supervised biofeedback and um, kind of video recorded, um, more in-depth process, more along the lines of something that you would expect to see for EMDR.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I do not have that level certification for biofeedback. I have a certification through an organization called HeartMath. Mm -hmm. Um, They provide clinician level training for biofeedback in kind of different like interest levels. So they have like a standard biofeedback for clinicians. I am certified in a uh, Trauma sensitive biofeedback. That's cool. Um, kind of structure. Um, so I am certified through heart math, which I feel comfortable implementing in my current practice within the hospital and in my capacity as a recreational therapist. Um, now, if we were to talk about as I continue to grow as a social worker and get into um, seeing clients for therapy, um, you know, from a, a personal level of ethics, I don't know how comfortable I would be with that level of certification. Um, I would be interested in, pursuing a higher level of just credentialing Mm -hmm. before bringing it into my own kind of private practice type setting.
0: Now that makes sense. I'm curious too. I heard you say trauma sensitive biofeedback. Could you say a little Mm -hmm. more about that? What does that
1: mean? Yeah, we've, we've talked kind of here and there throughout our conversation today about the impacts of trauma on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when somebody has experienced trauma, getting into our bodies and making that connection between the body and mind can can be really challenging, um, even distressing. So we want to continue to build that connection but there have to be some special considerations in how we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically in a session, I the strategy that I would teach somebody um, to increase their heart rate variability would include focusing on their heart just kind of in the center of their chest. And mm-hmm. if they're comfortable, even placing a hand there and for folks who have trauma that can just be too much uh and so we can start maybe with your big toe um Mm -hmm. something a little further removed from maybe where your body is storing that trauma yeah um which is a little bit deeper into general trauma considerations than uh, of the the streamlined biofeedback training might be
0: yeah so then do you think would you recommend if someone's considering getting this training or implementing biofeedback do you think it would be important for them to get additional trauma-informed care training if they don't already have that to just have more of an understanding of trauma the impacts on the body trauma
1: considerations like you were talking about that sort of thing I certainly think so. I also come from a perspective of tr- trauma informed care for everybody everywhere. Yeah. Um, we've all experienced some level of trauma and we all hold that um, a little differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think about um, resources like trauma stewardship. Mm-hmm. If you're working with folks who work in helping professions or the body keeps the score, mm-hmm. um, is maybe some little, some easier to digest and just conceptualize, you know, just how trauma shows up for folks if you're going to be doing biofeedback because you don't know somebody's right. trauma. You don't know what they've experienced. Exactly. So if you're coming in to do biofeedback and you are all gung-ho, you know, and let's connect this mind and body, let's make that connection, you um, your, your client may not even know what that's going to bring up for them. And so just being aware of those considerations, I think is smart for, for anybody Mm -hmm. doing this work. Well, and
0: you're working in a more acute setting part of the time. So that's a safety risk for you too, just as a professional in that environment, that if you're, if somebody's in an unsafe place, because they're, um, opening something up too quickly, then that can be scary for everybody because they might not mm-hmm. have the control to really manage their reaction in the moment mm-hmm. and they might not have the tools they need um, to get mm-hmm. through that moment safely. So I think that's a really important consideration for everybody that's thinking
1: about this. So and to know too, it's trauma sensitive biofeedback isn't necessarily trauma work, right? right. So knowing what what your role is and what your boundaries are and how to sit with somebody in those experiences Mm -hmm. um, and validate while staying within whatever your professional scope is. Yeah, definitely. In the scope of your setting, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can be, I could certainly be qualified to, to dig into some of those things that is inappropriate appropriate in an right. acute psychiatric setting, right? We don't get to kind of tie that up the best we can before they go out. And, and we don't want to leave somebody just raw and wide mm-hmm. open. Yeah. Right?
0: Absolutely.
1: Now that being said, I think somebody doing trauma work, um, a clinician doing trauma work could have, great success implementing biofeedback kind of on the front end mm-hmm. when you're starting with building those skills yeah and then you can use it as a touching stone right and making sure that you're um not in your fight or flight zone before walking out the door from therapy right let's make sure that we've come back down to a reasonable baseline before you walk out the door
0: yeah So you've kind of already alluded to some benefits from biofeedback, but are there any other additional benefits that you've observed from doing this work?
1: Something that I really love about being able to provide biofeedback is how it can just make something click for people. Being able to see the change in your heart rate variability, variability as somebody practices a relaxation strategy frequently results in that aha Mm -hmm. moment in learning how the skills that they're practicing really work. Yeah. So whenever I meet with somebody for biofeedback, we'll do before and after ratings of depression, anxiety, pain, and stress. I typically hope to see a decrease of at least two points on a scale of one to 10 in any one of those areas. And a lot of the time we see a decrease across the board. Uh, And just as we kind of talked about a little bit before, Mm -hmm. some of the best benefits I've seen is just somebody being able to express finding some level of increased sense of control over their body, their situation, whatever that may be for them. Mm -hmm. A lot of my patients are coming to the hospital, not necessarily by choice. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of folks have experienced trauma Mm -hmm. um, and just a really vast range of loss of control Mm -hmm. experiences. So to be able to provide a tool to somebody where they can see their own ability to regain some of that control and autonomy and have some confidence in that. That's, that's a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the,
0: the teenagers that we worked with in residential care and how cool would it have been to be able to do this with some of them? Because especially teenagers, you know, they, they, The ones that have cycled in and out of psychiatric care already at a young age are pretty jaded to those mindfulness strategies, breathing strategies, relaxation strategies. They're pretty resistant to trying those things. And it takes time to build that relationship and trust to get them to try again and try something new and try something different. Maybe you'll find something that works for you. So I imagine that could have been really, really cool for them if we could have introduced something like that where... They could see it in real time. Like you actually do have mm-hmm. more control than you realize. You do have the power to change something in this moment mm-hmm. and to feel better in this moment. And that's just really exciting to think about. And I'm I'm really glad that your patients get that from you because that's such a challenging setting when you don't know how many times you'll get to see them or how long they'll be there or whether or not you'll see them again in six weeks. So to give them a gift like that where... They can leave feeling more empowered is really, really cool.
1: Yes. I've frequently thought um, of how how cool of an opportunity this would have been for the youth that we worked with. And it integrates that technology piece that they're always so excited to learn more about, which can be another, a, a new, more exciting way to talk about some of these things that they've heard over and over and over again and make it exciting. And it's just such a hard time, you know, those adolescent years. And I think about my ability to regulate my own emotions and how long, you know, it took me to kind of get a grasp on learning my own cues and how to respond to that in a way that was productive. because. Nobody wants to feel those really uncomfortable mm. feelings of stress and anxiety and anger and frustration. N- nobody wants to feel that.
0: No. Well, and when you were talking about individuals with trauma, and we know that when you have that experience of those shots of cortisol and all those spikes and stress in your brain, that eventually that can lead to kind of a state of hypervigilance and to some really unhealthy unhealthy things happening in your body and your brain that really Mm -hmm. just affect your quality of life on a daily basis. Even when you're not in a stressful moment, it feels as though you're in a stressful moment all the time, which is Mm -hmm. just really not good for us as humans. So yeah, being able to kind of break that cycle for them and um, help to pull them down from that and help them to just find that control like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I can just see that being such a rewarding thing because talking about our work with the youth it was really hard work really really hard work and sometimes in psychiatric care you don't get to see the reward all the time or on a daily Mm -hmm. basis sometimes someone leaves and and you really don't know um what impact you may or may not have had on them Mm -hmm. and so something that's really tangible that you can see that something happened whether or not they um they realize it or take it with them. I really mm-hmm. like that a lot because you have to have those daily reminders that what you're doing matters, and that you're actually doing something
1: that's important and it's worth continuing to do. Yeah. You make a really good point about biofeedback being good for us as providers too, you know, and our ability to sustain really challenging work and be able to take care of ourselves so that we can show up for other people. And biofeedbacks is a great way for us to do that for ourselves too. Yeah, I
0: have several friends who are helpers or music therapists who have, you know, Apple watches or smartwatches or mm-hmm. Fitbits or different things like that. And it's not exactly the same thing, but they do very actively use that to kind of monitor their own state throughout the day of like, oh, I haven't really walked at all. That's really... That's really bad. I should probably get up and go outside and connect with nature and kind of reset my body before I finish the rest of this day. Because we get into helping mode and and then we stop taking care of ourselves, and then our own stress response um, is affected by that process. and And that can lead to eventual burnout, which I imagine recreational therapists also struggle with. So maybe you could talk about that for a minute because I am really curious. We know it's a problem for music therapists and. Yeah, I have to imagine that recreational therapists struggle with burnout too.
1: Sure. Yeah, unfortunately, burnout is a real threat for for us as recreational therapists as well. As I'm sure is true for music therapists as well, the role of recreational therapists comes with a great deal of need for advocacy for the profession and for the role depending on where you're practicing, it might be a really heavy burden Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in that constant need to justify your clinical reasoning for recreational therapy services. Mm -hmm. On top of working in these really intense high need populations can lead to burnout pretty quickly.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm really fortunate in my current position to feel well-respected as a recreational therapist and That's a huge factor for me in exploring job opportunities. And it's something that I strive to foster. I did strive to foster when I developed my own program and team. I think where I I personally experienced the greatest sense of a threat of burnout is more related to the population I work with Mm -hmm. than my role as a recreational therapist right now. And it's not the the patients or the folks that I'm working with, but the system that they're faced with trying to survive in mm-hmm. our, our mental health system is not effective in supporting long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And it's even more challenging to navigate for those in our community who are our most vulnerable. Yeah. For me, another protective factor is that I get to go to work every day where I'm surrounded by people who are truly passionate about and dedicated to serving our population and providing a high quality of care. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful for me in maintaining my role while I worked towards my master's degree. In social work too, and really just reinforced the need for what I was working towards, and having more more social workers in our communities.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you kind of alluded to this, but what are all the reasons why you chose to become an MSW? It mm. was all of,
1: reasons, <laughs> all of the reasons. All of the reasons. It took me. It took me. Quite quite a long time to commit to a graduate program. Mm -hmm. I, I knew early on that I wanted to continue to work in behavioral health, but I didn't quite know which direction was going to be the best fit for me. I soaked up every opportunity I had to learn from my colleagues in other disciplines Mm -hmm. and about their roles and how they contributed to an interdisciplinary team. Ultimately, I was really drawn toward a path that would provide a wide variety of opportunities in terms of work settings and client population, something that I think is also a protective factor in looking at longevity in the field and opportunities to just kind of branch out and become more well-rounded as a provider. As much as I truly love working in behavioral health we've talked about how challenging that is and it's important for me to have the opportunity to pursue other options away from that level of intensity if and when I need to Mm -hmm. just circling back to um what we were talking about a little bit ago and being able to take care of ourselves uh, to take care of others. If mm-hmm. I ever get to a point in my career where I'm not able to do that, I need to be able to make a shift that's going to be healthy for me and also allow me to provide the best care that I can to the people I serve. And uh, a master's in social work offers that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I know for myself, when you and I were working together, I was also working towards my certification as a NICU music therapist. And it was a very similar reason. It was, okay, I want to know that I have more opportunities, that if I need to take a break from being in a psychiatric setting, I can. If I want to learn something new, I can. And um to know that I'm capable of that too to also be able to remind myself that I'm capable of learning new things and finding new ways to practice music therapy and it was it was really cool to have that job side by side with being in a children's hospital <laughs> like to go there one day a week and then to be in this residential setting the other days of the week and to really just see the breadth of what you can do as a practicing therapist and It keeps you from being so insular as a therapist, Mm -hmm. which I think is really dangerous and a really big threat to burnout. When your world gets really small and all you think about is your work and the only place you're at is your work, um, Mm -hmm. then it gets kind of scary. And you really have to be able to kind of broaden your perspective and, um, and see other things to kind of just maintain perspective every day at work and be able to find joy where you are and to recognize when you do need to take care. Because I know for me, when we were working together, I remember you introducing the trauma stewardship book to me hmm. and thinking, I'm not ready to read that book. <laughs> I'm scared to read that book. Um, and it took me a long time to do it. You know, I I had to kind of read it just very slowly because at the time I was on the verge of burnout and really struggling with, man, can I keep doing this or not? I don't really know. This is really hard work. And kind of like you said, I don't think I burned out from the population. I think that sometimes you have to change the setting or get some additional training or just take a step outside of what you're doing to be able to come back to it in a healthy way. And Mm so- I'm grateful for you for being able to kind of notice some of my warning signs when I was struggling to notice them and being able to be a support for me in that time because um, everybody needs that. You know, if you don't have a team around you that you can count on to kind of check in with you and and notice when something is difficult then it's really hard to continue in any profession, not just music therapy or recreational therapy, but Mm -hmm. any helping profession. So yeah, I'm really grateful for you and just really happy for you that you get to pursue this new area and learn new things and try new experiences and, and new settings because it would be just so sad if you didn't continue to... Uh, share your light with people because you just have so much to offer. So I'm really excited for your journey.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's a little scary to be venturing out into (laughs) some new territory, but it is um, absolutely exciting. And I think that this additional education, particularly working in the behavioral health field right now only makes me better Um, that what I'm doing as a recreational therapist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't always get to link our clients to resources too. And sometimes not having that social work training, that community reintegration piece is challenging sometimes. And I could see that being Mm -hmm. really helpful, having both the social work aspect and the counseling and the recreational therapy all together, just being a much wider range of services that you can provide to someone and being able to see kind of the whole journey from being in the hospitals or reintegrating into the community to seeking follow-up services and really what that could look like for somebody.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited, you know, down the road um, to do therapy in the capacity of social work Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to bring, you know, this really special background that we have in experiential therapies into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I know so well that not everybody responds to sitting out sitting down and talking. Yeah. Um, sometimes we've got to do something. We've gotta we have to engage other parts of our brain and our body to be able to process. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited to be able to continue to carry that recreational therapy fire um, in my belly through my youth, short career too.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think coming back to the idea of biofeedback, it really is cool to have tools like that when someone's not ready to talk or someone's really even just not able to express something that's going on with them to give them a tool within their own body to kind of help them notice where they are, and to create a safe place for themselves in therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really important work for rec therapists, music therapists, social workers, counselors, helping to create safety for somebody. And I could see biofeedback doing that. Do you see that as a benefit of that work as well?
1: Creating safety within yourself. I think that I think I see the inklings of that starting for some folks, but right? mm-hmm. if I'm only getting to see them once or twice for biofeedback, yeah. yeah. um, yeah. it just takes a little bit more time than that for, for a lot of folks. So I, I see the inklings. with planting right. the seeds there <laughs> and they're, you know, they're building that confidence. They're decreasing their cortisol so that they can, learn all of these other things and even just be open and receptive to the idea that maybe they can be safe. I mean, that's huge in and of itself.
0: That's what it is right there. Yeah. I mean, it definitely takes time to create safety, to feel safe, to trust your therapist, to trust your treatment team, your treatment journey. Like there's so many factors um, in safety But yeah, I really think that you're planting a really important seed for somebody there, being able to be safe with themselves and to have a sense of control and to get that feedback is, I think, really foundational probably for somebody to be able to be successful in therapy and in treatment and to build that mind-body connection too. So just very Mm -hmm. cool, the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I would love... Love to talk to you all day about this, but (laughs) we can't do that. But now I just want to go and, and read some research and just learn more about it because I'm truly fascinated by the work that you're doing and really grateful that you were willing to talk to us today.
1: Yeah, of course. Happy to.
0: So I would love for you to maybe give some advice. To someone who's listening out there, maybe some younger professionals, students who might be considering recreational therapy or social work as a career. Is there anything that you would maybe say to them as
1: they're considering this for themselves? Absolutely. Um, things that I wished somebody had been there to tell me. And maybe it just comes with the years, but it would have been nice to hear. Um I I would say to seriously take some time to develop a personal professional stance on how you want to provide and engage in provision of care, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: take time to clarify your values and set boundaries, figure out what you are willing to be flexible around and what you're not willing to be flexible around, Mm -hmm. engage in that regularly. Seek mentorship or supervision to hold yourself accountable, journal, whatever it is that works for you to keep engaging in that reflection process and reevaluating your values can change. And that's okay. As you find that your values are being compromised in the workplace, evaluate whether or not it continues to be the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had... I wish I'd kind of figured that out and had that become a little bit more clear a little bit earlier on because we get to this point of nearing burnout or burnout and we Mm -hmm. lose track of a lot of this. So, engage in that regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we talked about, moving on to new opportunities can be scary, but it comes with some great growth. And in my opinion, um, it helps you become more well rounded therapist yeah
0: yeah I think it's not it's not a failure to move on from a job because it's no longer the right fit or because you need to learn new things or because you do feel that threat of burnout Mm -hmm. growing because of maybe work culture or the population or whatever it might be and I feel like there is some stigma around that like Bouncing from job to job, but like especially early in your career, you still are learning so much about yourself and what you're capable of, what you're interested in, what your skill set is, you know, i I found myself saying yes to a lot of things that I was capable of but not passionate about early on in my mm-hmm. career. And it took several years to kind of realize, well just because I can do it doesn't mean that I should do it. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to wear that hat. As a music therapist, I can set a boundary there and say that's not part of my job, and I'm not going to take mm-hmm. a job that includes that um, in the job responsibilities.
1: I remember you talking about that in your interview, and I was so happy to hear that. So I think, just like you're saying, as a, a young professional, it can be scary to set those boundaries, but um, I think that a, a lot of the time it comes off more positively than, than you anticipate it probably will.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ah, oh, well, thank you so much. This was really great. I learned a lot and I'm excited to just go and dig into some research and learn even more. And I hope it does the same for our listeners because this is just a really, really exciting thing that you're doing. And maybe we'll get a chance to have you back and talk about other things, because I think this is a really fun conversation and I'd love to have you back.
1: Yes. I, uh, I always love getting to talk to you. Um, so excited to be able to come and be a little part of, you know, this new journey for you too. Um, yeah. thank you. Awesome. For show notes and resources in today's episode and all episodes, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com.
0: Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow
1: us on social media to stay up to date on all the content and announcements. We'll see you next time.